1: The Around the NFL Podcast.
2: Is Daddy ever leaving home? (laughs) Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Anzis, coming to you from a city filled with heroes in bunkers. Mark Stessler, Greg Rosenthal, and joining us from his bunker, Steve Weiss. What's up, boys?
0: What's happening?
2: What is up? What how is everybody? How is everybody?
1: Wow. Good. Hard to hard to measure right now. I wouldn't say yeah. glowing.
3: Well, no, it's, pretty it's, exasperated there. Pretty exasperated.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's only so many moments in life where you feel like you're living through history and um and you could imagine that it'll be something that's gonna be talked about for a long time, decades even. It'll be taught in schools, hopefully. In this case, it becomes a catalyst for a change. Um, and it. what happened with the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and now nationally uh, protests uh, that have been going on, uh, demonstrations, many of them peaceful, some destructive, and including in our city here in Los Angeles, um, and just sitting at home or if you're out and about in the city, It's all it's all really surreal and it's all set against the backdrop of a global pandemic, profoundly dysfunctional political landscape we're in right now. And it's just all that is just hard to process. And our job, obviously, is primarily um, Greg is to talk pro football. But real life sometimes steps to the forefront. Uh, so that's where we are at the top of today's show. I mean, it's right. just something that it feels it feels it's it's right to talk about where we are in life right now with this country and in the world.
4: Right. And we will get to uh, we will get to the football. we got a Matt Rule interview we're going to uh, we're going to play. We'll talk some other random news, too. But, yeah, it's hard to avoid. Talking about it when it's our our reality, um, like Santa Monica right now. We're taping this in the afternoon. We're already on curfew. Um, we're not allowed to uh, be outside right now in Santa Monica. I checked out, you know, some of the damage that happened yesterday in the town, and it's obviously uh, dispiriting. But it it is different. I mean, this, this I, I, it's hard not to think back to to Ferguson and all the other. Incidents of police brutality that this country's talked about and faced uh, over the last decade. It's hard not to think about that, and hard not to think about from our point of view. Colin Kaepernick, um, which look Steve Steve Weiss is with us. He he was the one who broke the story about Colin Kaepernick. Um, you know, first kneeling uh, on the sideline, and it, it's hard not to think that this this time, if 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 nothing else, it's different. Um, it's like 150 cities this is happening in right now. And so that's different. I don't know, you know, that, that, that more people are talking about police brutality. I don't think that as many people are getting as distracted by like red state, blue state stuff. Cause it doesn't, it's not about the state, you know, look at our state. Like it's not about red state, blue state. It's about police brutality. And that, and that conversation is happening and, and it's, it's a painful one, but it's like, on a, it's unavoidable.
2: Yeah,
3: I'm going to chime in here. It's, 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 it's more about right and wrong. And for whatever political landscape or whatever you believe, blue lives matter, black lives matter, there is no way any human being with the soul could have looked at a video of a person dying with somebody's knee to his neck, two other people on that man's body, and then somebody playing Lookout and not be upset about it. And and I think that's why, Greg, when you say this is different, there were always excuses before. He should have complied. Um, He had a criminal background. There was always something to give somebody peace of mind why murdering an unarmed black man was justified. There's no way you could look at that when you saw this man's lifeless body on the ground for three minutes And smug Derek Chauvin with his knee on his neck and his hand in his pocket uh, seemed to be just like thinking about planes taking off or sunsets in Jamaica while this man's air is being lost in his body, that you could sit by and and be okay with that. The aftermath with these provocateurs and agitators – Vandalizing and breaking windows and looting, taking away from the positive protesters is, is sad. But people like me have had enough, have had enough. This comes on the heels of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, where so many people are, in my opinion, participating in cover ups. They're just saying, oh, well, you know, that's just another black body gone. And that's what people, when they say black lives matter, that's what it means. Not that they're superior to anybody else but that they actually mean something um, in the overall landscape. And, and again, that's why this is different. We'll see if anything comes out of it. Hmm. You know, they, They've already changed the out of the prosecutor in Minnesota because they had no faith in this person um, to actually go after these police officers. It's already out of his hand, so a, a salute to that. But in all these other states where this crap has been going on, is still going on, the cover-up of the actual ugly uh, act – that's what needs to start is people need to start being held accountable.
1: Yeah, Steve, I, I love the way you just expressed all that. And, you know, I, I think we're all in, in one similar boat where, you know, we're, we're at a time where we're housebound um, it, for many reasons. And, you know, the fact that coronavirus uh, has been buried as a B storyline, because this is um, m- much more striking and more critical to who we are as people. And I, I, you know, I am in a state where I'm just sort of observing and trying to make um, to listen and make sense of it all. But I, I feel like what I've watched over the past three or four days that um, like nothing in our country will ever be the same, and that's a good thing. I, I I'm thankful in for one thing that that video was captured because without it, I think it would have just been another um, hideous incident that sailed down the river without much notice. Um, because it was captured, because we, because anyone with with a beating heart inside of them are horrified by what they saw. Um, it forces us to confront. And frankly, you know, those of us with children, um, you typically maybe hide their eyes from some of this. I and my my feeling is the opposite. That if things are going to change, it starts with uh, the people inside our own homes seeing um, how how wrong things are and how, as you said, corrupt. Um, the system is from the deepest levels outward, and so uh you know I total change from here on out, and it should be serve as an eye opener unless you are walking around as a total zombie
2: and that 's you said, Mark, you know nothing will ever be the same that that to me is when I look at like the big picture of all this to me, the jury's out on it, and i I really I'm hope that you. this is the catalyst um and this will be different than the other times, and it does feel different we 're old enough all old enough to remember uh, the LA riots in 92 um, but this seems like um, and there is a call for it not just to be uh, black and people of color speaking out but white America also getting behind this cause and I feel like that's different too you sense that as well will it be enough to to spark real change and on the on the subject Steve of the NFL the NFL obviously has a a, a seat in a chair in the history of all this going uh, in recent history about uh, the idea of police brutality and social injustice. And Colin Kaepernick, who who seems to be becoming a bigger and bigger figure in American history by the day. And especially now, it almost feels like what he was doing when he was kneeling was pression And it was in a way that was clouded by all the political stuff and all the Trump stuff. Now it's so clear. It should be, at least what that was all about. It wasn't about not being good American. It was about, hey, this this is going on, this stuff. And now maybe, Steve, what? with the advances in camera phones and the fact that people are getting more and more fed up, not just black people, that it's going to lead to a real change. The, the Kaepernick side of it, how how do you think? And the NFL side of it, Steve, like they release a statement. Obviously it doesn't get received well by the greater public because a lot of the greater public believes that the NFL did not do right by Kaepernick on the issue and hasn't done enough uh, to support uh, causes of uh, related to social injustice. How do you think the NFL beyond a press release saying that we're going to continue to work with groups, can actually make positive change and not just positive words on a press release?
3: Well, I mean, look, it's its its accountability. That's, you know, like you, I'm with you, Dan, where you said we'll see if it makes change because we've heard this before. Remember, 2016, four years ago today, election cycle, um, you know, that's when Colin Kaepernick took a knee because you had all of the all the unarmed black people over the previous couple years, you know, Tamir Rice and Michael Brown and and everybody getting killed. We're still here, man. So in terms of the NFL, to me, it starts in their own house. And and look, I'm going to air a little dirty laundry, but it is what it is. Where are the people of color calling any shots? And I'm not just talking about owners. I'm talking the league office. Where are the people of color at our network? you guys have a black or Latino or Asian supervisor? Have you ever? I've never worked for a black editor. I've never worked for a black boss. Latino, Native American, Polynesian, they've all been white men and white women. And so to me, by having legitimate action and diversity in your own house mm-hmm. instead of a press release, instead of 70% black workforce that people see on Sundays, but having it in your own house other than Troy Vincent and other than Al Riveron, on um, that are legitimate, not hires to make you feel good, but are legitimate hires where people are in on decision-making powers at our network there are 30 plus VP senior executives and I think there are two or three of color and they allow us the freedoms to come on platforms like this and speak our minds and whatnot. That's great. But where's the, where's someone for me to aspire to, you know, who do I look up to, to aspire to? Um, And and so I think that's where it starts. And and, and I also think guys like you and, and other people, In the league, just in in private conversations, someone's dropping N-bombs or saying this and that. God, I can't believe these people are are breaking up buildings. Well, Here's why they're breaking up buildings. Because this is the 12 millionth time we've seen this and nothing has happened. We've got your freaking attention. It may not be the positive attention. It may not be the thing that honors these deceased people and their families properly we've got your freaking attention. And, and that's, you know, and that's how a lot of us feel.
4: Hmm. I, I think um, you, you speak to something that there's a lot of statements happening right now, but that's action. I mean, that's, yeah, that's taking action and look black, black people in our lives have been telling it. It's not a new thing uh, to know the problem with the police state that black people have in this country. The new thing is cell phones. Really? And, and hopefully, a new generation um, kind of speaking up. But I, I do think it, the NFL is in, in an interesting place because of Kaepernick. And we, we talked about it on the podcast then I, how, you know, him not coming back into the league um, and just everything that they went through. You even knew then that, look, he's going to be one of the most important NFL figures we've ever covered. And you knew that, you knew that then. And 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 that's growing even more so now. But I do think it is interesting to to think about where at least the league was publicly then and and a lot of white people, frankly, were publicly then where it's like there was a a lot of division even among the owners of what in coaches of how we're going to handle this. And a lot of a lot of teams did not want their players kneeling. And, and we remember that. And a lot of coaches didn't. And then different ones wanted to do it in certain ways. OK, you can do it once if it's with the owner and then that's that's it. Whereas I think today you're seeing at least publicly more of a rush to with a lot of them to uh, embrace, you know, the right message of fighting police brutality publicly. and And I do wonder if like. And you see a little bit more with white players speaking up, like white quarterbacks. Sure. Um, That's huge, man. That's big. and, And of course, you know, you can say a lot of it's PR and this or that, but Kaepernick helped open that, that space and that change. And even, even the, the social justice, you know, initiatives that the NFL has done, like that, that is, I think, a reflection. So it does put the NFL in this interesting spot, even compared to other leagues, I think of, of, um, what happens from here. But I would say this, it's
1: it remains shameful what happened to the Colin Kaepernick message, what it was about and what it got turned into by um, people unwilling or unable to embrace it, um, more unwilling. And if anything, when I mentioned, I think there is a a bit of a polar shift that we've now seen it with our own eyes and we cannot deny it. Um, And it's not new. It's been going on for a long time. Kaepernick is validated entirely by this, and I will not listen to anyone uh, with a different take on that. I mean, and, and, and the league should realize um, that it could have been handled completely differently from the start.
2: Hmm. Um, yeah, so we'll continue, obviously, um, to talk about this and talk about it from an NFL angle and however we feel like is important. And and Steve, um, you were at my last thing I was just thinking about with Kaepernick was... I think it was last November. The workouts for Colin Kaepernick uh, when he uh, had a public workout for NFL teams. It reminds me that he, at least what we hear, is still wants to be an NFL quarterback. And how many years has it been <laughs> since he played? Now, what yeah. do we? Is this going to be the third full season?
3: Third full season. It was you know he he first sat down for the national anthem in 2016. So he finished out that season and hasn't and hasn't played since.
4: Pretty unbelievable. It, um, it does, Steve, it, we have. Oh, go yes, Greg. On. I was going to ask Steve. Just you, you help, You did some roundtables today. I know for the network. Oh yeah. Did, did anything come out of that?
3: Oh my goodness! Uh, so powerful. Um, Jim Trotter did one with Kurt Warner and Dr. Todd Boyd, a uh, let's say a current affairs sociologist, pop culture sociologist who does a lot of stuff with athletics and, and Black history. And that stemmed from Kurt tweeting over this weekend, what can I do to help? Because I think there, there are a lot of non-Black people asking that question because they're sickened and they want to know. And Kurt and I had a great discussion Sunday about it. And, and so that panel was honest and, and, and frank in and a lot of historical context to future solutions. And then uh, I moderated one with Josh Norman, Josh McCown, and Mike Robinson. And man... Just, it was raw. It was raw. Um, Josh Norman talked about this is racist. This is bigotry. Black people are fed up. But he was also solution-driven. And the solution-driven is kind of what I just talked about on the small scale. Talking to your kids like you're talking about, Mark. Talking to your kids about when you see something wrong. Like your friend's avoiding another little black kid because he's a black kid. Go play with him. Um, you know, to just th- things that are far more macro. And then Josh McCown, another member of the Players Coalition, and, of course, a white quarterback who's been very active for years, talking about how black people walk around life with a weighted vest, right? Whereas – and he drew this great comparison, this great analogy as to – he said he's had a different offensive coordinator every year of his, what, 19-, 20-year NFL career. So he was always learning new offenses, while the incumbent quarterback knew the offense. It was preparing for other defenses. So that person had a leg up. So he says, white America has always been that incumbent quarterback. Mm. You can you can attack the opposing defense. You have that leg up, um, whereas black folks are the guy coming in just just trying to figure out how to navigate enough to survive. And you know Michael Robinson. Very passionate. We had some great conversations about Brian Flores and, and his message, mm. and how not only was he inspiring, but how he called out people who were awfully noisy during Kaepernick. His some of his colleagues, and how he's had to separate loose friendships. Because where are you now? Where some are of his, now?
4: some of his bosses? I think was a subtext that I read into it. Maybe yeah. yeah,
3: very very much so, very much so. And isn't it interesting how some of those bosses and some players who who are no longer there are being far more outspoken about subjects like this than they ever were. Kind of makes you think a little bit.
4: Well, it and I know, uh, Dan, we, we are going to spin to other NFL news, but it, it, it is interesting because people say, you know, when they say stick to sports, it's like th- this is sports because all the coaches and players, they're dealing with this today. You know, Frank Reich, yeah. they, they put out um, – you know uh, he had a, a statement to the media but he talked about what he talked about the player it's like they, there's no avoiding this is what the coaches are talking about this is what the you know the owners whether they're releasing a statement or or not it's like this is they're having to handle it it's not like there's a choice to go just like run and hide uh when that's your when that's your workforce
3: oh if you avoid it you're losing your guys if you avoid it bye kiss you goodbye
4: And,
2: Steve, I know you're going to continue to be part of the conversation on NFL Network this week, so make sure uh, everybody you follow along uh, for those important conversations. Uh, Steve, would you mind sticking around for the rest of the news, which I wouldn't say it was at the same level of importance, but it's pretty close because George Kittle doesn't have a new contract yet. So maybe we should talk about that as well.
3: Always love hanging out with you guys.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Steve. All right. But this is what's going on in the kind of news of the NFL. Uh, we'll start with Mike Silver, our own Mike Silver of NFL Network, who reports that the 49ers and George Kittle, the star tight end, are quote, far apart in extension talks. We'll see, um, what happens with this. But Steve, I mean, Kittle is. One of those dudes, one of those dudes that you absolutely build a team around. And Austin Hooper, I believe, Mark Sessler's Austin Hooper, is now the highest paid tight end in the league. And I believe the agent said, I don't care about the tight end market. I'm being paid to do a George Kittle deal. He will be expensive. Couldn't the 49ers afford him? I guess that becomes the biggest question.
3: Yes. Um, Look, they've cleared a lot of cap space. It's one of the reasons why they traded DeForest Buckner. we're seeing the same thing going on with George Kittle that we saw with Jimmy Graham. I'm a tight end, but I got wide receiver numbers. You say I don't block in line. So I'm a wide receiver. Give me that wide receiver money. Give me that, you know, that big Stefan Diggs, you know, those, those 16, $17 million numbers. And, you know, of course that went to arbitration or whatever. And Jimmy Graham was a tight end and George Kittle is going to get tight end, but, they're, they're going to have to pay him. And this is one, they've already got their quarterback on a big contract. You know, they've got a couple other big deals, but you can finesse, you can work these numbers. This isn't, yep. you know, what, what wide receiver is making big, what offensive skill player other than Jimmy Garoppolo is making money? None. Right. So you can work this. Now, you know, you've got, you know, D Ford and, and you've got some other defensive players making big bread. You know, you just paid Eric Armstead. Quan Alexander's making money, but uh, play that franchise tag game with George Kittle and it won't go well. I mean, I, I, uh, he's Go, go ahead,
1: Mark. Well, I would just say, I mean, what, what the concept of back pay? Uh, this is a player who has given you 170 plus catches over the past two seasons, 2,300 yards, 10 touchdowns, and made seven hundred Right, made 719 thousand dollars last year. Uh, the Jimmy Graham comparison is is so apt, and you, you go and look when you go into to pro football focus and you dig into the positions nothing is weirder than the tight end position because the rankings are all out of whack because uh we've dealt with this before you get one Jabroni who can block really well but he had eight catches all season and like he ben gets Ben Hartsock eight. is ranked ben number Hartsock, one <laughs> right Ben Hartsock the number one tight end when you there are distinctly two different <laughs> positions Jimmy Graham played the different version of tight end George Kittle plays it Times two. I mean, I he has a better argument to make um, an incredible paycheck based on what they've given him for what he's produced.
4: Well, no, I, he's he's a fascinating case if you're into contract because he should be making more than Julio Jones. I mean, that he should be making double what probably the highest paid. And to me, Jimmy Graham's not a great comparison. Really, I, I understand at the time it was like an argument, but. Tight ends are so underpaid if they're as good as George Kittle, who's who can change a whole offense in terms of the the off the defense doesn't know what you're going to do on a play to play basis. He's such a good blocker, he's such a good receiver that, he, of course, to me, he's worth as much as an AJ Green or a Julio Jones, and that's almost like double what any tight end is making. I really think. Like tight ends should just be pissed at Rob Gronkowski for the contract that he signed early in his career. I know he did it with two years left at his rookie deal. But tight ends have been underpaid ever since because he took a totally below market deal for his entire career. And he's the greatest tight end of all time. And everyone else got stuck just being like, well, you're not as good as Gronk. So you're getting slotted under that. Like Kittle, and I think he's going to try, is, is going to try to do what Le'Veon Bell unsuccessfully did uh, for running backs, which is just blow up the entire market for tight ends because they're all underpaid. In these trying times, everybody together now, everything's Belichick's fault. <laughs> <laughs> You're loving this. This is your favorite <laughs> subplot of the offseason.
2: Hey, we mentioned Matt Rule is going to be on the show today. It was actually an interview we did Friday for the Around the NFL broadcast on NFL Network, which Steve Weiss, see how it all ties together, sat in last week yeah, for us in the Chris Wessling pregnancy chair. Um
4: Although Speaking you didn't of look back pregnant, pay, Weiss. we owe Weish, we owe Weish some dinner if nothing else. We, yeah, owe we him do come. him and Matt Money Smith. <laughs> we do
3: we'll drive through a Taco Bell still open.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Rule will be on the show. We'll play that interview back on the podcast in just a little bit. Uh, but he has someone in his cornerback in his cornerback group that he needs. It's Eli Apple signs a one year three million dollar deal. Uh, it went uh nearly two months between when. Apple's uh, deal with the Raiders fell apart at the beginning of free agency. Uh, and, uh, actually it was 71 days, uh, until he agreed to terms with the Raiders. So more than two months. Uh, and this was a, sp- uh, with the Panthers. This is a spot, Mark Sessler, uh, that Carolina needed help at. Apple's not a big star despite being a first round pick, but he should bring something to that group.
1: Yeah. On that Started. Friday show, we each had to pitch, um, an NFC South team to, win the division and I was tasked with the Panthers, which is, you know, in that field of four teams, not the easiest, um, pitch job, but it Just was, you know, say what but, it
4: is. It's heroic,
1: Mark. It's heroic, it was heroic but you. I, you I don't pat- know. If you was...
4: spent most of your time patting yourself on the back for taking. Well, it's, I think challenge. it's heroic
1: in the scope of being a football blogger, not in a larger, um, not in the larger context of things right now, but, uh, I, you, you know, really, you just demean the credibility of your football blogging there, Mark. <laughs> yes, I, well, I do that often. It's um, a self defense mechanism. But they lost James Bradbury. Uh, you know, I it was interesting when Greg did his uh, starters piece that you mentioned the human being named Corn Elder as a potential starter had they not found anyone else. So this keeps Corn, Corn Elder Corn. at bay.
4: Yeah, they, they're now, corner, their cornerbacks are about as bad as they were in the league. They, it feels like they still need another one or two.
3: They do. I mean, look at the division. Yeah. To, right. At so you're
2: going going again. Division. Yeah. Mm, they're going to have to score some points. In other news, Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson says, quote, it's, th- it's going to definitely be a culture shock if NFL teams are playing in empty houses this season uh, in the event that there is an NFL season. We're still hoping that happens as well. Hey, listen, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. Uh He was on, Jackson, on the... Lane Johnson podcast, Outside the Lane. Get it? And uh, he talked about what's something. What's something that the NFL could do to juice the telecast in the event that there is no crowd to add that adds that natural excitement? Here's what DJX had to say. I think they should mic up players. They should give fans the insight to see what really goes on between the lines. It gets crazy, bro. I know in the trenches, <laughs> it gets crazy. And I know on the outside, it gets crazy too. The conversations we go back and forth on. Steve, you know what it's all about in the trenches. You know what it's out, uh, like covering these guys being in the locker rooms. Is this the best idea ever or the worst idea?
3: Ever? Oh, it's
2: awesome. <laughs> it's so
3: good. The, th- the thing is, I mean, you have to put a disclaimer coming out of every break that, you know, you may hear some language that you're really not comfortable with. Right. Because it's, <laughs> it, it, it's going to be spoken. Well, they started
2: doing it with the 30 the thirty for 30s on ESPN. They give you the option of the clean and dirty feed. Maybe that's where NFL telecasts are heading. I would mm-hmm. love
3: it. Yeah, that. well, NFL Network will get the clean feed. And, and yeah. so, <laughs> you think so? But I mean, I, I just think it'd be awesome if you made Belichick's players, if you made the Patriots get mic'd up while they're going eight and eight this year. Be like, I, I mean, I'm just sorry. I just did that <laughs> for the it feel a better. Um, but I, I, I mean, come on. It would just be absolutely incredible. Just the wide receivers and DBs alone.
4: Well, and the mics that might not have to be – Might not even need you don't mean might not need that many mics. I mean, UFC has done this a little bit uh, since they've come back and you can start hearing everything in the state. You know, you can start hearing everything because there's no crowd that you might just, you know, like you had the mics on the center before. You might hear a lot just coming off of that. Like, I, I think there's something to it. I hate the idea of fake crowd noise. It seems so, so stupid. To like the Falcons didn't seem to be opposed to it a few years back, but uh they were ahead so of their time. It's stupid to make an artificial situation. If there's no crowd, that like it's a totally unique thing, and it's gonna be weird. But like the, the that's what you're watching. Let's let's be real. Sports are real, and uh, you might you might get some good John back and forth. It'd be great. Could
1: you could you see coaches or just certain coaches totally bumping on the idea of this? Where yes. you know mid game, you know it's one thing if it's released, you know six days later at, as a special. But mid game, you know, a, a hot mic picks up uh, various play call scheming scenarios and Bill Belichick's head explodes. I don't know if that's what they're looking for.
3: Well, and, and also injuries.
4: Like right. That that's true. Yeah. Sure. yeah
3: hey, that guy over there, sure. he's, that, that's where the, that's going to be like, nope.
4: That's a good point. Out. It would really yeah, take one good. terrible injury for everyone to say that that's a bad idea. It's not good. <laughs> oh, yes. And, and <laughs> some people, it's a great some point. People. The uneducated might not know that.
2: Steve Weiss playing big-time Division One football at Mizzou in his he younger did years. uniform,
3: didn't ever play a game, did never get into a game. <laughs> you
2: never got on the field?
3: Never got on the field. That's I farther saw than really, we got. I saw some really good players. Who was there? We played against Wisconsin when they had Al Toon, who might be the most incredible player Ooh. I've mm. ever seen. He was like 6'4", 120 pounds. It just absolutely destroyed us. <laughs> We played Oklahoma State when Jimmy Johnson was a coach. You know, Thurman Thomas, Hartley Dykes. Uh, I mean, that's that's Oklahoma. had Bosworth, you know, Tony Casillas. (laughs) I mean, incredible. Here's here's a great one.
4: Hartley Dykes, a disappointing first-round pick for the Patriots back in the day. I think I had a a shirt, and he didn't really come through.
3: But here's a great (laughs) one. So we came up. We wore all yellow uniforms for the first time. It's a 70-year anniversary since the last time Missouri wore them, which should have been a hint that they weren't going to look good on TV. <laughs> and we're playing Notre Dame when Jerry Faust was coaching them. And they were massive. They had Steve Burline, Mark Bavaro, Alan Pinkett, Tim Brown. I mean, just first-round draft picks galore. I think they finished 6-5 and five that year. And we had them on the ropes. Our field goal kicker missed like a – 35 yarder, you know, we lo- we lose the game, but I was like that team should be 11 and 0. I mean, they, they 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 you talk about mm. watching a team get off the bus and you're like, "Ooh, <laughs> they're different." <laughs> they were so huge, man. There was Mark Bavaro. Had I played, that's what I would have been going up against. It would have he would have had a mm. great
4: game. Seemed like a tough fellow to me. Based oh, on the anecdotes, that's, that's like right. us when we get off the off the NFL media bus at the Super Bowl, and everyone's just like, Ooh, <laughs> what, "What podcast is that?" That's right. Uh,
2: we go in slow motion as we put our sunglasses on. Um, okay. Weish, you are. I, I find you to be one of the most uh, well respected, and just everyone likes Steve Weish. Like Weish is just like one of those dudes. If anybody was ever to get a Rudy scenario, where it's like, I'm not playing, uh, Steve's a senior, it's his last game. If he doesn't change right, the field, we're not right. taking the field. If there's not a Weiss at Rudy scenario, then it's, that's on Mizzou and your entire organization, the team over there.
3: Bro, nobody would have cared, man. <laughs> <laughs> nobody would have cared. We would have gone up against Kansas, our arch rival, and lost again. And uh, it just, <laughs> they would have blamed it on me.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't think I don't think Sean Aston um would be a good guy to play you in the movie. Who would who would play Weish no. if there was a Rudy scenario?
1: Oh man. Denzel maybe? I don't yeah, know. Young Denzel.
3: Oh his son, but his son's too short. Okay, I think, think somebody You think go of, a
1: little CGI and you get Denzel the young Denzel, the same way they've given you, you know, young all these other stars in these various movies. We right. might have to ask your wife about that.
2: I'm sure there's a male celebrity that she says, oh, you look like. Uh, oh, you know
3: what? Dwayne Johnson <laughs> the Rock. I'm going to have my hair <laughs> There we go. Bang. I, I
2: was there thinking. Yeah, the <laughs> rock. Dwayne, get, get the <laughs> offer out to Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Well, I guess we need a time machine to make it a, a situation as well. But there anyway, we Steve. You've come and you've, uh, as always, delivered an incredible performance. Maybe you didn't, didn't get on the field at Mizzou, but you're an MVP on the Around the NFL podcast and a valued member of the NFL Network. And that perspective that you gave us at the top of the show is, uh, frankly, necessary, and we love to get it from you. So thank you, as always, Steve. And best of luck this week, because this is a different one. Uh, we've been working together for a long time, but this is not like other weeks.
3: No, appreciate you guys. Appreciate the conversation. Appreciate all, all you guys do because you guys, you guys are a window and not a mirror to society, man. People can see the future through you guys instead of looking back and seeing themselves. So I appreciate you guys.
2: Thank you, Steve. Well, thanks, Steve. You're the best, buddy. All right, Steve Weiss. There he goes. He gets a well-deserved glass of Chardonnay uh, as he gets ready uh, for what lies ahead. Uh, gentlemen, we mentioned – Matt Rule. That's what's happening in the news, by the way. We mentioned Matt Rule in the interview that we did on the Around the NFL broadcast, which again you can check out every Friday on NFL Network, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. There are also re-airings uh, late at night and in the morning. I think our show's better drunk, and I'm not condoning alcohol usage, especially if you're underage. But if you are someone who likes to have a, a few drinks on the weekend to unwind, I think our show is even better. Greg, actually, his performance and his compu score numbers go through the roof when you have a few whiskeys. That's what I think. Compu score? What is that? What is compu
4: score (laughs) number? I don't know. Wasn't that like uh, the boxing uh, measurement? Wasn't there something so. like that? I can't remember. I it, com yeah, Comscore uh, tells you like how well your website's doing. I think, uh, but we, you're right. We're on <laughs> we're on at 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern, and I think 11 you know and 11 p.m. Pacific, you know, you know, a different time. So you're right. You can get a late night viewing. You can get like the next morning, 6 a.m. or 10 a.m. Waking I heard up, the dog. Right, you know, uh, yeah, little
2: view. That's right. What is CompuScore? Let me see what this is. <laughs> uh, it has, we are a full-time family-owned company that has been timing athletes for over 35 years. Yeah, we so that was a very apt uh, um, analogy there. Swim events, triathlons, <laughs> duathlons, uh, televised podcasts, biking events, stair climbs, <laughs> or more. So,
1: Greg's CompuScore rises as people and buy alcohol. Uh, it makes total sense now that we know what the company is involved in.
2: Anyway, we had Matt Rule, the former Baylor coach and a man that my father-in-law, Bob Bates, absolutely adored at his time down there in Waco. Now he's the head coach of the Panthers. And here was our conversation with Matt Rule, uh, including a little speed round at the end. Enjoy. Joining us now, we're so excited to have Matt Rule, the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Matt, welcome to the show. And is there any way you could have that music underneath you at all time with throughout all your coaching duties in Charlotte?
5: <laughs> I would love nothing more than to walk around with my own theme music.
2: <laughs> um, Matt, it's, you know, even in the best of times, being a rookie NFL head coach, is a challenge but you it seems like you're entering the picture at a particularly fraught time you're entering a division that has a perennial super bowl contender favorite in the saints all of a sudden tom brady's in the mix and gronk you have no traditional off-season activities and oh yeah uh, the organization decided to move on from the most popular successful player in history in cam newton in franchise history this is a challenge. I know you just rebuilt Baylor from the ground up, but this one, this one feels like a tough one.
5: What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I'm excited about it. You know, I mean, I, it's not like I, um, I, I didn't walk in eyes wide open in terms of hey, that there's things we have to do. But I'll, I'll even you know uh, amplify it even more. Like of the 90 guys on our roster, I've probably actually physically met maybe 20. I think like eight of them wow. played for me before. Of them. So like um, I could be walking down the street tomorrow and, and, and bump into somebody and they could be playing on the team and I haven't actually met them yet. So, but you know what, um, you know, there's, there's two sides to every not development, ideal. you know, no, no, it's, it, it's not, but, but you know what, it's like anything in life, you know, it, it you know, these, 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 it, this adversity, these obstacles, they force you to try to be at your best. I know this, I know myself as a head coach, my assistant coaches, Being in the virtual offseason, I think we are better teachers now than we were a month ago. I I think being home and being like a dad teaching my kids has made me a better teacher than I was a month ago or two months ago. So um, just try to take the positives
4: out of it and not worry too much about the negatives. Wow, I need some homeschooling tips from you. Then I don't know if I've yeah. gotten any better. It's made me a worse <laughs> podcaster. I have to tell you that, man. <laughs> I uh, I wonder. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater is one of the guys you met. Uh, maybe not. But I I wanted to ask you about him because you know these two clowns on the on the other side of the screen from me. They they make, like to make their little jokes about Teddy. They talk you about know. his air yards per attempt. I mean, they they like him as a person, but they about seem six. to think he's not as exciting uh, as a quarterback to explain to me why you guys uh, wanted to bring him in and thought he was a fit for your system.
5: Yeah, you know, um, I, I had a chance to coach against Teddy my first year at Temple. I actually put up the stats the other day for our team. It was like 25 of 35 for 348. I mean, he just destroyed us. Um, and then I went on to watch them in Minnesota without knowing him really well and watched him, you know, take, you know um, take a team to the playoffs, I think in year two, whatever it was, and then have that terrible injury And I think if anything you want to know about Teddy, just just go back and watch the game he comes back and finally plays and watch his teammates. Um, You know, I'm a big statistics guy. I'm a big analytics guy. And and they're really important, but they only tell about half the story. Uh, The best players in the world bring out the best in their teammates. And I can tell you, since free agency started, the amount of guys that want to come, that want to play with Teddy, has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with anybody else. They, they want to be a part of what he's doing, because he brings out the best in people. And then to watch what, you know, he went, you know, had his little brief stint, whatever, with the Jets. Watch what he did in New Orleans last year. And, and so we're getting ready to play Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. We're practicing at the, the Saints facility. And he's out there by himself with a couple guys, and he's still on red zone routes. You know, Drew's going to start, and he's the backup late. I think it's, you know, the game before the playoffs. And I'm watching him throw, and I'm watching the way people respond to him. And i i have no idea I'm going to be in Carolina. And we start our little you know jog through, and Taquan Thornton's this great young receiver for us from Miami. And Teddy walks through our practice, and he walks over and says hello to him. Now he's you know maybe eight years older than him, and he's talking to him, chopping up with him. He comes over, and he's like, "Hey, coach, sorry to inter- interrupt your, your walk through." And I just—I sat there and told him, I said, "Teddy, I just want you to know how much respect I have for you, having coached against you, having seen what you've done, having seen the way people respond to you, man." I just. I wish you the best. So you fast forward a couple months and we have a chance to get him here. I believe so wholeheartedly in who he is as a quarterback. Um, I believe in his abilities. I believe in his arm strength. I believe in his accuracy. I believe in his decision-making. Yeah. But beyond that, I know he's going to make everyone else that much better.
1: See, there you go, I guys. I like that, Coach. I like you. that. Well, I, All right, I have in. a question for you. <laughs> we're, we're sold. I, I, here's my question for you because I, I just wonder from a – um, you, you've come to the NFL. People talk about the lack of experience on the coaching staff, which I think you kind of have said. Forget all that business. We're gonna we're gonna attack. this the way we do everything else. But it is a is it a bit of a mental polar shift to have your mind occupied with like, how do we shut down a sophomore three technique from Rice university to now uh, in the middle of the night, you're thinking we've got Drew Brees to deal with. We've got uh, Matt Ryan to deal with. Oh, and by the way, they, uh, you know, Tom Brady is going to leave the golf course at some point and be shoved into a Bucks Jersey. (laughs) The NFC South is stacked. I mean, is it, is it for you just starting to game plan for these guys that you've been watching for so long um, at all uh, striking mentally or a challenge?
5: Well, I mean, you know, take out the X's and O's. I mean, Drew Brees and Tom Brady are, are not, and Matt Ryan aren't great because of just the X's and O's. I mean, they're they're great because of who they are as players. And so, uh, I would say this. I would say, you know, go go be a go be a defensive coordinator. Go be a um, go be a head coach in the Big Twelve. You know, deal with uh, you know um, uh, you know Jalen Hurts running quarterback counter one way with a speed sweep the other side with an RPO in behind it. Go deal with quarterback one every down. Go deal with option football. You know, we're at Temple and we're playing one week. We're playing the spread. The next week we're playing Navy and playing the triple. You know, the X's and O's can, you know, can sometimes be really challenging in college, way beyond, you know, the more traditional stuff you see in the National Football League. What the difference in the National Football League is the matchups is, is the expertise and you know I, I brought a lot of guys that I brought with that were with me at Baylor because I believe they're the best of the best, and a lot of them i i brought I got from the NFL and convinced them to come to Baylor you know there's a lot of money in college football I could pay them pretty well um but you know we, we brought Jason Simmons in as our defensive pass game coordinator from Green Bay. we brought Al Holcomb who's been a defensive coordinator in as our run game coordinator. We brought Mike fair in from the Indianapolis Colts so we tried to bring in a bunch of great, great guys with me from Baylor and you know, supplant, supplement them with a bunch of guys from the NFL. I really like our staff, and I think I think we'll do a good job coaching over the next couple of years.
2: All right, Matt. Uh, so far, we're all impressed. We think the Panthers are going to go 19-0. and 0. Uh, But you know what? We haven't <laughs> done anything yet we haven't done the speed round, and this is where Ooh. champions are made on the Around the NFL broadcast. Are you ready, Matt? <laughs> Yeah,
5: give me a shot. I have no idea what's coming. (laughs) Hit the
2: music. (laughs) Hit the music. Here we go. Sopranos or Game of Thrones?
5: Oh, wow. That's like the uh, ex-Soprano.
2: Springsteen or Bon Jovi? Springsteen. Your uncle is married to your...
5: Aunt? Some Mm. people
2: say aunt. Zessler says aunt. It's weird. Best Tarantino movie? (laughs) (laughs)
5: Oh, um, old fiction.
2: Safe. Flat earthers, what's their deal?
5: (laughs) (laughs) They
4: don't get the whole story. (laughs)
5: Pick the
2: age that you live until. What is the age you live until?
4: Whoa! Uh,
5: yeah, I'm I'm going out early. I'm saying 16
2: Oh my god. (laughs) Have you read Art of War by Sun Tzu?
5: I, I, I legitimately have.
2: Wow. If you haven't read Art of War, do coaches talk about you behind your back? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just looks tell How is the pizza in Charlotte? Be honest.
5: Um, I love New York City pizza.
2: Get Jersey here. Shore or the Hamptons?
5: Jersey Shore. I have the in Peyton Lane. Jersey Shore. Ooh.
2: Mm. Are my Jets getting That's a star it. in Denzel Mims? Uh, yes. Final question. Pounding, you plan to keep doing it. Plan uh, to keep, keep pounding.
5: pounding, I keep pounding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you you did it. You, you're a champion, Matt. You, you killed the speed round. And uh, we thank you so much for joining us. And like we said, not a traditional way to start your NFL head coaching career, but you sound like a guy that's going to get it done. So best of luck to you in 2020 and beyond. Matt Rule. Thank you, guys. Appreciate y'all. Stay safe. Thanks, thank Matt. Well, all right. Mark, I have to say your ability to keep it together during the rule interview was, I mean, kudos, because in terms of man crushes, you have to go all the way back to maybe Kyle Shanahan during his OC days Mm. to find someone that you have adored as much as rule.
1: I put Pettin up there. I think I learned firsthand when um, little Debbie visited the studio and I just went silent for about fifteen minutes while the three of you <laughs> knocked that interview out of the park because I didn't know uh, how to what to do or who I was. Um, <laughs> like a but, girl at a
4: Beatles concert in a backstage. I totally. With Paul I, and John. I'm laughing because I totally forgot about that. That is a sneaky great. Oh, so I think moment about it, it daily. It, it
1: concerns me daily. But um, you know, rule was you know he was we're used to at this point seeing all sorts of people in the the fourth square on our show or the fifth square. So um, you know, I did my best to uh. Get one question out there, and I don't think I did a great job with that question. That if I mm. critique that show, I had a kernel of a thought, um, and it went totally sideways with a question that went on for about four minutes longer than it needed to. <laughs> See, I didn't so,
4: remember that. Well, you know, that. you have to
1: self-critique when you're watching it <laughs> yeah. late at night. You got that beer in the hand, thinking, "Hmm, well, I, I have done that better."
4: It was it a miss. It was a little verbose. It. If we, um, if we had time, my next question. There, <laughs> if we had time for one more question, I was going to ask Matt Rule seriously um, if he was ready. Uh, to handle the pressure as Mark's new coaching crush. I would have maybe used a different word than that, but just that, you know, he might not know this, but every year there's a coach that Mark kind of fixates, you know, an offensive mastermind and whether he thought he could handle that sort of. uh, Well, and
1: it's often not going well for those people. So, I, you know, laser, we haven't seen
4: laser was, was one of the originals back in the day.
1: Yeah.
2: Tough sitch for laser.
4: Filippo um, was another one.
2: Patton. Oh, he caught some fire. Patton, of course. Patton, Patton's um, okay. Patton's okay, Patton's back on his feet. For now, Patton near very nearly got. <laughs> I feel like he was maybe a little closer to getting shoved out the door than people realized by the
4: end of last year. It was a rough end. Their defense like got Patton better. Is, Patton might be the best Browns coach of the decade. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah although i would say probably kyle <laughs> shanahan how bad coaches they, have been. they let kyle shanahan get out the door please oh, we didn't right. need to I've go
2: ahead you mentioned all right so Kevin he was Stefanski's in a tough spot my point yeah stefanski enters his first year with the browns rule his first year uh with the panthers you got joe judge who we talked about on wednesday's show entering his first year uh
4: with the g-man who's the other uh debut coach this year it's Mike story. McCarthy uh, being a new coach, not a first-time coach. But. Mike he's McCarthy the only rookie
1: ones, yeah.
4: in Dallas,
2: and we could open this up to new OCs and DCs. But um, rule, it feels like, and we talked about it in our conversation, as you just heard, that it's a he's in a very challenging situation, and we didn't really like dive in too deep on the Cam Newton stuff because who knows how much say he really had in that. But that's that's mm-hmm. a major kind of cloud hanging over rule that he might not even have control over about how his quarterback ends up playing, how Newton's career continues. Uh, but it feels like rule with Christian McCaffrey, with some pieces, he seems to have his stuff together. It's going to be a challenge in year one, but you feel like he could be set up for success down the road. Uh, where does he compare to some of these other uh, new coaches and coordinators out there? Is anyone else that jumps out to you that's in a, an especially good spot or uh, conversely a bad spot?
1: I would Hmm. say I think Stefanski is in a from a roster angle. um, You'd like to think he'd succeed right away, if not very early. um, But the overall Cleveland experience um, leaves you just sort of wanting to see it. I don't quite have the idea. It's an institutional nightmare in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean,
2: like one part of it looks great. And then it's like the actual history of the organization the last 20 years. And it's like, how could you ever think positive, but that's, what does that even really mean ultimately? Right. And I would, if he has a fresh start, he has a fresh start.
1: Right. I'd offer this that um, Andrew Barry, I think has like kind of under, under the radar for a GM who's been there for three or four months, done an incredible job. And I'm not, I'm, I'm looking that through. Um, I typically look at their front offices thinking there's probably a disaster looming behind the scenes, but Stefanski and Andrew Barry, um, every time they're asked about it, sing each other's praise and seem to be on the same page. And the pettons and all these guys we mentioned from before were in counter-opposite scenarios where they were battling their front offices and being undermined by them and text messages down to the sidelines and suspensions. So I I, I think Stefanski set up to succeed uh, this year, but I have a much better idea of who Matt Rule is. Um, mm. And I really just believe, and, your, and to your father-in-law, his support of Matt Rule and what he witnessed with his own eyes as a dug-in, Baylor fan he's done that everywhere he's gone so to me and I you know I've said it over and over it just I get kind of like college to pro Jimmy Johnson vibes and I just think that um I, I really think Matt Rule is going to be the story of the NFL uh to
2: yeah Baylor wasn't at the level obviously of Penn State that was unprecedented but Baylor went from this organization uh, or this college program that was kind of an eternal also rand in that region and then Art Briles came to town and RG3 exploded on the scene and it turned them into a powerhouse. And then scandal brought that whole thing to the ground. And as with my family ties, I, I followed it pretty closely. That or that, that program, it, it, it appeared to be in a position where they had exploded. And then the way that things went up in flames that they might just go underground for decades and, right. and be a, uh, just an afterthought in the college football scene again. The fact that he was able to come in. And rebuild that program. I think he went one and 11 the first year when they just had all sorts of issues and they were just trying to get on their feet. But after that point, they became one of the top programs uh, in their conference and in the nation. And if he can take that same ability to uh, team build, and obviously you could say it's apples and oranges, college and pros, but you just get the vibe. And I'm always a sucker with, with um, not to like keep our focus on rule, but I'm kind of a sucker as a New York, New Jersey guy, for the straight shooting New York, New Jersey guy, the guy that seems relatable, and he seems like uh, when you were younger, the type of guy like your friend's dad that had his shit together type guy, and you you yeah. imagine that he would just be successful in life. That, to me, is Matt Rule, and that a guy like that engenders a lot of faith. So I, I'm with you, Mark, that I think that he could be a very good hire, and yes, do I think uh, what I... Take the unknown with Matt Rule over the uh, what I have uh, in hand with Adam Gase. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think the I think the Pan- Panthers have somebody there that uh, that you can get excited about for sure.
4: Well, he he combined a few things in at in college, and I think he's shown that he might be able to do it. at The pros, which is it's it's the team building and the organization building and it's the scheme it's the combination the, the, the great coaches can do both and his you know his coaching was extremely inventive so he seems to get it whatever it is but he also is you know bringing Joe Brady from LSU and to get back to the whole thing with Cam Newton I mean I assu- I've assumed Matt Rule 100% made that decision or that he was the biggest voice by far I assume that everything in the Panthers organization, he's the biggest voice by far, and I know I know ownership um, is going to be part of it, but I think David Tepper is signing up for Matt Rule to be that guy. Yes. And I think when you heard him talk about Teddy Bridgewater, look, I think I, I think they. There was no mistake that they, they released that statement that Cam Newton can seek a trade the day before they signed Teddy Bridgewater when you can assume they basically agreed to terms with Teddy Bridgewater the day before. So once they knew they had Teddy, the guy that they wanted to go after, and it's, it's less money. It doesn't mean he's going to be their guy forever, but it's the guy that they wanted to go after for this year who's played for Joe Brady, his, his offensive coordinator. I mean, I, I assume they, they looked at the Cam situation and thought, for whatever reason, I don't want to deal with that, and I do want to deal with Teddy Bridgewater, who one of you know our coordinator knows well. And uh, I think Matt Rule is set up for success too because they don't have to win. Like if they go five and eleven and they're an exciting offense, everyone's going to love Matt Rule at least this year in terms of public perception. Just score some points and people will love Matt Rule. Whereas. Stefanski and McCarthy, they're going to have high expectations. I mean, they're, they're going to be expected to win. Well, like giving Matt Rule, like what, a six, seven year contract? I mean, right, I think Stefanski has to have, if if they go seven and nine again, it's like, well, um, Freddie Kitchens got a seven to nine, and everyone's talking about him like he's the worst coach in, in the history of the U.S. So that's, it's actually kind of a high bar for, for Kevin Stefanski to the U.S. To history of the U.S. I've never I'm heard of that. I'm just saying, before. people now talk about Freddie Kitchens like, like he is the worst coach ever, basically. And like, I get it. He did a bad job, but like he was not the only person in that. Well, you
1: know who basically. doesn't think so? Joe Judge, who hired him to come coach tight ends, I believe. So, you know, these guys keep hiring each other no matter what happens.
2: Well, the one thing we know about Freddie Kitchens, because we got a chance to meet and talk with him, like he seems like a totally cool guy that loves football and is passionate about it. So maybe sometimes the guy's just not right for the big chair and the, the Browns learn the hard way uh, that that appeared to be. Kitchens is faith. The one guy might as well just touch on quickly. I think McCarthy is the best setup uh, for success in Dallas, but also, and I think you've alluded to this a few times, Mark, this offseason, he also is under the most pressure because people are going to expect the Cowboys to win that division. You can't really say that. Uh, with the Browns and the Giants and the Panthers, McCarthy's going to need to get that team going in the right direction and uh, win 10, 11 games, or he's going to be seen as, uh, oh, we hired the guy that was burned out in Green Bay and is still getting the same type of result. So that there's some pressure there, but he certainly has, especially on the offensive side of the ball, an awesome setup.
1: Don't discount the epiphany that he had during this year away from
4: um, the gridiron. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably the secret sauce right there. I think you hit on it, though, Dan. Like, you, you don't hire McCarthy to, like, rebuild and, and, like, develop young players. And, you know, it's like they hired him because they're ready to win now, which is, okay, that makes sense. And they kept Kellen Moore. They kept Kellen Moore because they're ready to win now. I mean, they are one of the, you know, inv- in the desert. And I, I've already seen among some of our cognoscenti, they're one of the favorites. They're one of the like top five or six favorites to go win the whole thing. And I don't think that's that crazy. When you have that good offense, I don't think it's crazy. I can,
1: I can also think of other years where they're the favorites because they're Dallas and it's presumed that they'll roll into the NFC title game. I mean, they've found a way to not do that for 20-plus years in a row. But um, what could go wrong? <laughs> um, all right.
2: Man, you do not like Mike McCarthy.
1: No, I like. I. That's more of a. The Cowboys have viewed themselves
4: as a Super Bowl team since I one haircut, and
2: all of a sudden, you know, Mike McCarthy can't and, even.
4: No, you know, that be is in not. If really Barry. wanted to get deep into it, you could almost read this. You always mentioned the, you know, the epiphany and the off-season PR that he did. I mean, if I'm out there and in Tom Pell and I'm Tom Palicero, and we know he doesn't listen to our podcast, but if he did. Um who kind of put together the biggest piece about McCarthy? I might take some offense uh that you're coming after my work.
1: Well, that is not true, but if you want to fire back, go look at anything I've written for the site over the last 3 months. <laughs> I mean, what is talk about unnecessary fluff? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's tell very, yourself, Mark.
4: Very hard on himself, too. No,
1: I just, I, you know, I look at, I, I question the nature of, um, you know, sitting around on your phone reading like eight thousand hours of sports articles right now. But, but people are in different situations. That's so fair. that's fair.
2: I've also moved on, uh, epiphany wise. I am now all on the Baker Mayfield. I'm not going to talk trash anymore. Epiphany. Trash. <laughs> okay.
4: That's the epiphany. I'm yeah, all yeah. For now, we move in silence. He's gonna like. He's gonna like show up to games, everybody. Sure, like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like a ninja outfit on and, to, and just like little small letters, silence, you know, on his shirt. All right, move on like, to the next
1: part of the show, whatever you guys have cooked up.
4: <laughs> All right, let's spin That's the wheel. Enough. It is time to um, sp- the Wheel of
2: Teams, which is our weekly deep dive into one team in our league. It started off with the Arizona Cardinals. Last week, we had our buddy Bob Glauber uh, talk the New York Giants. And now Ricky Hall. And hey,
4: Ricky, how are you, by the way? How are you,
2: Ricky?
1: I'm okay. How are you guys? What do you, there's, what do you I think heard of there's... Uh,
4: Hartley Dykes, the uh, the former Patriots first round receiver?
1: Yeah, no, such a bust. Tough <laughs> sit, tough <laughs> sit. Hey, you got it right, Ricky. <laughs> there,
4: I heard there's there's demonstrations going right
2: out, outside your window too. Yeah, in I Hollywood. some
4: helicopters going on. I just got a notification that curfew went from six to five p.m. in about five minutes. The helicopters mm. are are unnerving. So there was helicopters. Yes. The entire day nonstop uh, yesterday from the morning till about 1030 p.m. It went away and then they were back around five, five thirty. And I was like, well, well, we're in the morning today. I was like, we're doing this again. But but for the most part, they've left.
1: Yeah, it's scary out there. So
2: stay safe, Ricky Hollywood. Uh, We're going to spin the wheel and find out which team we will be diving deep on on Wednesday's show. Erica, are we ready? All right, Ricky, spin the wheel, baby. All right, let's go, Dolphins. Right? Big moment here. Let's go, let's go Broncos. Dolphin. Broncos. Ooh, the Tennessee Titans. Wow, look at that, Mark. One spot away from the Browns. So well, close. Cool. So I'm, far.
1: I think it's better for the show that we we're going to have a twenty-minute conversation on the Browns, anyway. So let's go, Titans. Here. I feel like we've <laughs>
4: overcorrected, though. We we used to joke that we never talked about the Titans. To, to now, after this show, we've almost talked too much about the Titans.
2: We've talked a lot about Well, guess what it's coming more Titans talk. They Greg and we know that they knocked off your Patriots and ended Tom Brady's new England career with a pick six. You don't have to take it out on them. They they were just
4: doing what they were trained to do, which is win a football game. Yeah. Be kind. I I enjoy, I enjoyed their, their little run reminded me of some early Patriots teams.
2: Um, so yes, we will talk about the Titans on Wednesday show and we will talk. We will, uh, get our heads together and pick uh, someone from the beat or someone connected to the Titans to speak to as well. So tune in for that. Uh, all right. Before we go, uh, we I just want to talk about something, guys. And, and uh, I know this particular person didn't necessarily want it to be something that was a big to-do, but we have a well-trod saying, here at the ATN podcast that we deliver football news with a touch of mirth. And that comes all that comes both directly and indirectly from Dave Damashek, who, uh, if you're paying attention released this final episode of the DDFP yesterday. And the phrase is how Shek would describe, uh, around the league news, write-ups on NFL.com penned by Mark and I years ago, news with a touch of mirth. And, uh, like I said, when he was on our show last week, Sheck is the godfather of mirth at NFL media. Uh, before he came, it didn't exist, at least not in any form that was funny. And Mark and I didn't follow a traditional linear path to get to where we are. We started out as part timers in 2010. And I, th- I think for, for me and Mark, I think we're in the same boat on this. There was two people at this company that really, um, believed in us and gave us a chance. One was Justin Hathaway, our old news editor, who hi- hired both of us within a month of each other in 2010. And then about a year and a half later, I, I want to say, when they were relaunching the news division of .com, um, had us be the editorial voice of it. And so Justin was a champion of us. And then Sheck, you know, I had no experience talking to him like zero. I never did it in college. I never did it after college. I was 30 years old when I was hired at the NFL. Mark, I know you didn't. You weren't someone that came from any deep broadcasting background. But Sheck started to have us on the podcast. Uh In fact, I looked it up because I was feeling a little nostalgic um today. And it was July 19th, 2012, when Dave had Mark and I on the show for the first time. And uh, we were on a few times and that gave birth to the ATL debate club, which was a weekly mini pod featuring uh just Mark and I tacked onto the back of Dave episodes. And then that spun out into um about a year later, Greg and Wes now in the fold and the uh this podcast, which was the around the league podcast. And it's now the around the NFL podcast, of course. And I was thinking about all this history this morning uh, while listening to Dave's last show with us. And I know, like I said, he doesn't want us to make a big deal about him. And I know our relationship with him is going to continue and we look forward to having him on the show again, down the line and maybe we'll cheat life. Uh, one of those check sayings and, and attend a Dodgers game. One of those weekday matinees uh, once the world gains some sense of normalcy, but as a podcast, uh, just wanted to say thank you to Dave, both for the opportunities and for being such a fun person to work with all these years. And uh, can't wait for, what comes next from Dave? Cause he's a truly talented and good dude.
1: Yeah. I'd say real quick that, you know, I think Justin Hathaway um, encountered some resistance when he tried to put us in those roles of writers with opinion attached to the writing. And I'm sure Dave did too. And we never would have known about it. But the thing I could say about Dave is that that was, um, you know, almost 10 years ago when he gave, and if you listen, if you go back and listen to that first encounter with him on a show, <laughs> I sound like a scared fifth grader. I mean, I, I am offering no opinion of worth and it was scary. I don't even know how to speak into the mic at that point. But, um, the thing about Dave is that since that time, I think he's done that, uh, for about 50 other people who would have never naturally been given, um, a role on any show. Uh, and you know, it's, it's some people from out of left field. And, um, I just think that that's who Dave is, and he, you know, he he could have said forget that. And even as our show became what it was, um, it's the one person I always thought of that we never would have had our show um, without Dave. One of us, at least, would not have been on this podcast if not both of us. I I, I don't know how it would have all f- unfolded, but um, it doesn't happen without Damashek. Not not in the way that it that it has.
4: He's he's a mensch, you know, to yes. use the word uh, from Dave and Isa. Uh background you know tribe. mazel tov i mean he uh he's a wise man i mean he should after siren as many children as as him he, he is wise but i do think of like a lot of his sayings like cheating life like i'll i'll catch myself cheating life and think of dave in that moment because he has a way of like putting things um so perfectly and then repeating them over and over so you never forget them and it's like the, he's he's like inside of uh, all of our heads sometimes so uh what better compliment to a broadcaster than that? And we know he's going to do other um, great things. So I'm looking forward to what he's uh, he's going to be announcing coming up. Yeah. And I, I might get it. I don't even know. I might get an annoyed text from Dave
2: for us even talking about this. But I just thought it was important I, I just because of all the things we just said. He was such an important figure to us. So uh, best of luck to you, Dave. And we will uh, hear from you uh, down the road, hopefully soon. All right. That's it for today's show. Good show. Good conversation. Important Hi, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back on Wednesday. Yes. Talking about the Tennessee Titans and um, whatever else comes across our plate. So thank you to everybody for listening. Until then, this is Dan Hanza signing off for the quiet storm. The old boss, Rick Hollywood. Stay safe there, Ricky. And everybody else. Steve Weiss, of course. As well. Until Wednesday.
1: Offer ends June 30th,
0: 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?
1: Yep. You know what this playground could use?
3: A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves! So we could go
1: surfing. Oh, I <laughs> <laughs>
4: love
1: that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah,
0: ski slopes. Let's
1: do it! Um, Ten a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby! Wait!
0: Did we just invent California?